Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your man, Fat Boy Sharif, Jersey in the building. Yo, it's Fat Tony. You listening to the motherfucking Cabbages Hip Hop Podcast, you DZ. Ha <laughs> It's an all-star episode of Cabbages. Hi, Jeff. <laughs> Hi, Gary. This is Cabbages All-Stars. Cabbages All-Stars episode dose. I'm excited about this. Sure. For a, for a one particular reason. Can you guess what it is? No, I can't actually. What? We didn't have to do anything but watch the film. It wasn't even, we didn't have to pick anything. Yeah. Our friend Sharif... Mm-hmm. came to us and said i'll do the episode but i want to watch this with you guys and you're expecting perhaps a revenge we have been in in many cases downright evil to the rap no. community no the rap community that we love we've made some people some really special people watch some really not special material we are your friends that's all i'm saying <laughs> And and this is how they repay us. A kids in the hall movie for two massive kids in the hall fans. It took zero convincing for me to say, yes, we are going to do this. Yes, Sharif, this is right. How could we not go ahead with this pick? Usually, like when we are putting together an episode and we're figuring out guests and movies to go with, yeah. like there's a lot of thought that goes into that. We have discussions. A lot of back and forth. This isn't monkeys. You telling me this is going to be a bad idea and then it is. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Which is the point. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing a great job, by the way. <laughs> like we we a lot of thought I'm taking some real stinkers. A lot of thought goes into this. It's not good ideas as they but a lot of thought goes into it. Right. So now we're sort of faced with a guest for the first time on this show picking the movie, pick something that's positively delightful by our standards. Right. Um is has a higher Rotten Tomatoes score than the majority of what we watch anyway at what forty four percent by at least double. <laughs> yeah, we're usually down in the twenties. Hey, that would be funny. We should less. go through honestly. <laughs> we should go through and make a um like an average, an average Rotten Tomatoes score. If you take out some outliers, like we've watched some good stuff. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I'm not. I don't want to bring up any old wounds, but Tremors oh, is like a very well rated movie. Oh my. God, it it is though. It is a well-rated movie. It's like certified fresh. I'm I'm dead serious. I'm not just. Oh. No, no, I hear true. you. I hear you. So that would be an outlier. You got to take that out. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we do an average. Hubie Halloween is highly rated compared to most. I feel like. yes, because it's quite good. Hmm. You seem to disagree. if that's true, then Tremors is incredible. No, Tremors is not. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Fucking Siskel. Fucking Ebert. Fucking Siskel. This episode isn't about that. This episode is about brain candy. And we got two amazing guests to be part of this one. So excited. Just in case you did not read in the description of this episode who's on this, it's Fatboy Sharif and Fat Tony. We got two of the best Guys who were there for us. These are guys who were with us for season one. Fat Tony was our second guest ever. Fat Boy Sharif Sharif was the first. He got Leprechaun. He got Leprechaun. One. Yeah. Yeah. He lucked out. And like, look, Sharif has blown up so much since then. There's so much more. Yeah, we were fans and we were excited. He wanted to talk to us about this movie. We were learning about him all at the same time. So he comes back to us with a pick. We're going for it. And that's what we did. So we did uh, Kids in the Hall Brain Candy. Enjoy Kids uh, in the Hall Brain Candy, the episode. Do yourself a favor and watch the film. Do watch. And then listen, because it's it's so good. Yeah. Also, if you don't watch the movie... Um, a lot of what we're about to say will make no sense. Absolute nonsense. <laughs> no sense. It guys. still might not, but you'll know exactly. Yeah. 
if you randomly <laughs> drop it at any point in the episode, you're going to go, what the fuck is happening? Why am I doing this? What is this? So I highly recommend it. Um, as you'll kind of hear over the course of the conversation, but I'll say it in here, this film is not available for legal streaming or downloading rental anywhere right now. So uh, YouTube is your friend. Bruce McCullough's YouTube channel is a good place to look, uh, but there's some other places too. I am so excited to introduce our guests for today's show. First up, we have Fat Tony, the Houston bred rapper whose new album, I Will Make a Baby in This Damn Economy, is a must listen. He's also about to drop a reissue of his 2013 album, Smart Ass Black Boy, timed for its 10th anniversary. Also joining us today is Fat Boy Sharif. The Garden State Gargoyle is having a hell of a year with no fewer than three new projects out. In addition to his Backwood Studios album, Decay with Steel Tip Dove, he recently released the Insomniac Mitchell Launcher EP with Company Flow rapper Big Juice. So what do you do when you have two of the dopest rappers in America today on your podcast? You make them watch Brain Candy by Kids in the Hall. Hello and welcome to the show. What the fuck is up? You're, you're, you're. <laughs> I love it. This is going to be a classic episode. I, can feel it. I, I, I already mm. feel that the energy is, is dope. It's prime. Oh, yeah. Hey, you got me. about to hit. Check this family on here, you feel me? It's about to get stupid, you feel me? You already know. Right. Y'all know how I feel about Jersey. I'm in love with it. When you this back is... up? I'll be back up next month. I'm going to fuck with you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hell yeah, hell yeah. Who's ready to talk about Kids in the Hall? Kids the TV the hall. show before yeah. we get into the movie. Let's roll into it. I was obsessed with Kids in the Hall back in the day. So how did you sort of get to it? I found out about Kids in the Hall when we finally got Comedy Central on my cable net network because uh, I was super excited about South Park. I had never seen it. I heard the buzz. This had to be like 98, 99. I'm in like fifth, mm. sixth grade. And once I started watching Comedy Central, I noticed that during the daytime, especially the weekends, they would play SNL nonstop and they play Kids in the Hall nonstop, mm -hmm. which is probably the first time that I ever noticed that some TV show I like was from Canada. I had never even thought about Canada before. <laughs> if you remember, it used to come on every day from like two to six. Yeah. And then, yeah, then SNL would come on from like six to 10 and that'd be the whole day. That'd I be would the watch day. all that. <laughs> and then I'd get uh, Strangers with Candy in there somewhere. Like, yes. Yes. Uh, Chappelle show, Daily News, Chocolate News type shit. Like, oh yeah, yeah. No, I was watching Comedy Central, MTV, BET, fucking Adult Swim, back to back to back, all through late nineties and two thousands. Oh yeah, now for about now, I would say for me it's funny because like, especially because I'm younger, I want to say I got put on the kids in the hall super early through my okay. own. Like, and I want to say like. It used to come on channel two like one in the morning or some shit. When I first, mm. yeah, when I first got tapped into it. What it is that? What is what is channel two? What uh, network? So is that? CBS, right? That's CBS, right? CBS, yeah, CBS late night. And back then, I remember just seeing it and kind of having it stick with me because it was different than the big, the big four or five at the time, as I call it. And mm. I would say, yeah, big four to five is. SNL, Living Color, Mad TV, and for the kids, all that. That was that was that was right. Show. <laughs> right, excellent point. I watched that as well. And for me, like me, just seeing how they went about their humor and even this, just their comedic timing with everything, like it super stuck with me. And then when I got retapped into it on Comedy Central, I even got more of the jokes and right. More references and everything else so it definitely like still to this day it definitely still hold up and i definitely think like it get kind of it don't get talked about as much as it should like it's one of those if you know you know but like right it don't, it don't get the big three talk it don't get the snl and living uh, mad tv like that's a for example 
when the state came out, I'm, I'm a huge state on MTV guy. Oh, yeah. I think right. that's one of my favorite shows of all time. That's I'm Michael Ian Black. Balls right? in it. Yeah, yes. it is. That show, my balls in it. There was like a race in the media to find the way to describe that show by naming another show. And it felt like no one was calling out Kids in the Hall, which it was 100% indebted to. Do you yeah. think Kids in the Hall just became like a cult thing? Yeah. And, and like never was really mainstream after it happened? I think the show itself and the movie share a common thread in that the X amount of people that love it are absolutely in love with and the people that hate it are critics. Yeah. <laughs> it just get crushed. Kids in the Hall falls into this weird space because, and I think I am the oldest person on this conversation, but it falls in this weird space because where I first remember it is back on HBO, where the first three seasons ran. So it started in 1989, I think was the first time they put out anything for it. I know for the CBC, maybe it might have gone over on HBO a little bit later. But like, it was really something when you got to seeing this on basic cable and it's like, it was different than what other comedy I was being exposed to. And I was consuming a lot of stuff. I was going to the video store. I was renting Monty Python and Marx Brothers and anything I get my hands on all the time. But there was something about the kids in the hall where it was just like, oh, this is for me. This like, it speaks to like, like sort of my musical tastes mm. in that time too, kind of discovering things that weren't on major labels, like finding out about artists that were kind of all kind of like that alt Gen X intellectual exactly. vibe. It's like where the show could you do like its characters, but it's not like the SNL characters. And it's also you could have jokes that were really like alarming, like where they had Bruce McCullough come up as himself and to apologize. Dave Foley made him apologize to apologize for what? He goes, I'm sorry I gave everyone all that cancer. Like, that's the joke, the dark, dark humor that I was used to seeing. Their primary humor to me is like pitch black. Mm. They go all the way in on the darkness of a joke. And it's because it's very regular people characters, right? Like, yeah, a lot of the dinner table, but not cartoonish like Saturday Night Live. Very realistic in their talk with people just accept things in these in these sketches. I always liked the gay homie on there too. I always thought yes. that was dope because like SNL and Mad TV didn't have like a character that was like openly queer like that. And it and it wasn't like they made a big deal out of it, but they also they also yeah. let him make fun of gay shit too, which is dope. Yeah. 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 No, I definitely gotta like agree with Gary where he was saying kind of like it fell in like a, a awkward place, but I'll definitely say like it was definitely a show for that time. To me, like, right. even stuff like Cancer Boy, which obviously we're going to get into. And <laughs> mm -hmm. We are. To me, like, I'm just, I'm watching Brain Candy, like, and I'm looking at just some of the stuff from the fourth episode. Because I would say the strongest episode, the the strongest seasons was the first three into the fourth, because mm -hmm. it was all five. And then the fifth season was dope, but. You could tell, like they were saying, they was having some personal issues with yeah different stuff with that. So they kind of ended it at five, but it was certain jokes and certain stuff that I literally was like, "Wow!" <laughs> like just in in shock of what what's going on. And to me, like I miss that type of humor. And even nowadays, like a lot of the jokes on there be literally stuff that you might joke about with your friend just on a phone call or right. with nobody else around. Like, and to me, it was crazy to see like how they transferred that into stuff that nowadays we can watch it and be like, oh, this is something that'd be on the internet mm. in situations this that's viral that, yes. that people will make fun of. And go, so yeah, now nah, super duper, super duper uh, a landmark show just for that alone. Like, and it was dope, kind of like how they knew people found it over the years. Like when they got on DVD and all mm -hmm. of that. Is it on any of the um, streamings, like the streaming services? Well, this TV show is. You could go onto Amazon and you can watch oh, the show. Amazon bought the rights so that they could do a new season. So they basically oh, did Oh, really? That. Yeah. They show all the episodes of the original run. They have Death Comes to Town, which was a limited series they did in the 2000s on IFC. And then they have this rebooted season that they put out last year. 
I think it's like six or eight new episodes and it's incredible, really funny. But the one thing that isn't on there is brain candy. They own the rights to it. They've got the rights to it, but they have yet to release it, mm. which means we had to be a bit creative about how we uh, watch this one. Ha ah, ha And we still got it off. Yay. Still, I will point <laughs> out that one, I bought it on, on Blu-ray because I wanted it. You will be uh, not surprised to learn that the options that show up on the DVD menu, the Blu-ray menu, are play and subtitles. That's, That's it. it. Basic. That's it. That's it. When did that come the out? <laughs> the movie or the, 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 the new video? Like, like, do you think it's like a video that was put out back when the movie first came out and like the company didn't care about it? Or like, like why do you think it has such basic programming? Well, I mean, we'll go into sort of the how much of a box office failure this movie was, but I think they basically, after the requisite VHS run, probably in the late 90s, they did a DV, a cheapo DVD version that had no frills. There's no like they don't even, like they don't even put the trailer on it. Like we did an episode this season about the movie Cool as Ice, the Vanilla Ice movie, and they at least put the trailer on there. There was a commentary track. That you could listen to, not from anybody involved in the movie, because everybody doesn't want to say anything about it. It's not like Vanilla Ice is going back, like weighing in, like, well, in that scene. No, there wasn't even a fucking commentary track. This is just, it exists. If you want to watch it, it's here. The other thing I pointed out is that it's also, it is available on YouTube, as we all know, but I found that it is also streaming in full, specifically on YouTube, on Bruce McCullough's YouTube channel. Oh, he has it on there himself. Yeah, yeah, I saw that earlier. So there's a few, we had the few ways which you as the listeners can check this out. Basically, that's a, that's a blessing. Yeah, sure. Like you guys go ahead, find it. I don't, we just want you to see it. It's a public service, which is very Canadian, very Canadian in that respect. (laughs) Yo, and I got to mention the fucking TV show had a fire theme song that uh, shadowy men on on the shadowy planet. planet. Oh my God. They were jamming. It's true. They were a good surf rock band. I loved the monologues. We can move on from the TV show, but I loved the monologues the most. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were just incredible. Like, these people were, like, legit badass actors crushing it. From from when I was watching, I had no context for that sort of thing. I didn't know what they were doing. They weren't doing that kind of stuff on SNL. You didn't, like, I watched a lot of, like... Very rarely. I remember Eddie Murphy had one. He would do a monologue before a sketch Mm. to sort of... Be like, hey, don't be scared. We're going to make fun of white people for a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) They would like make him. And so he would turn it into a monologue rather than Mm. like a disclaimer. Right. I like that. (laughs) That's got a perfect break. I want to get a sense of people's experience with the movie before this. I, I, I believe... Everybody in this conversation has seen this movie before this podcast, yeah. before we decided to talk about it on the show. Yeah. I yeah, saw yeah. it before, but I don't think I ever really paid full attention to it. Agreed. Like it, it was something that I would catch when it popped up, but nothing about it made me want to check it out versus going to the actual TV show. Right. I would say for me, I kind of tapped into it a little earlier because I remember hearing, I, I always loved the, the title of the movie and the movie poster. With all yeah. the dope. So like I remember I always saw the poster and stuff. And obviously I see more Michaels was tied to it. I always was tapping into the SNL movies and stuff like that. So I'm like, kids in the hall got a movie, I'm tapped in. And yeah, I seen it and definitely and that to me, if you was a fan of the show, the movie definitely uh satisfied your tapes for a fact. <laughs> I saw Brain Candy in the theaters. So you were I was one. I I am literally like when you look at that box office <laughs> number, like ten dollars of that is me. I am ten dollars of that. I went and saw it in nineteen ninety six <laughs> in Queens. Again, I think I don't know if this was before we started recording or not. But Jeff was like, Gary's from New York, so he saw everything. Yeah, they had access to everything. True. I had you access to everything, and then you'll act like, oh, you guys did. Why didn't you have it? We didn't have a lot of things. We were in the south, in the middle of nowhere. It's totally part of the thing. Part of the game. Y'all candy. are blowing my mind about this show, though, because I didn't realize that the TV show ran on H- HBO, and I'm seeing yeah. now 
that in fall of 92, CBS started playing it late night on Friday. So that's Just how, how Sharif that, found out about it. Exactly. Sharif saw it's crazy. Yeah. yeah well, it's, it's, it's like interesting how we all found this show through a different channel. Yeah. Like we yeah, all have a different interest. It felt like, and it's because it's split into different, like, and then too, like HBO wasn't as free and easy on things. But, but HBO took some risks. Like this is like Mr. Did. Show. There's, I mean, there's a lot of comedy stuff that came out in that particular period of time that started on HBO that maybe went somewhere else. But the reality is like, they took some chances on there. That later on became okay. called things. But I didn't realize, I mean, I always knew I was weird. Like I knew I was a mm -hmm. weird kid. I know I was a weird teen, but I didn't fully what like you you grasp it in moments. And one of those moments that I grasped it in was where I went to go see the kids in the hall brain candy in the theaters and was like, Where is everybody? <laughs> Why is nobody Damn. else here? Is this not a big deal for you other see it people? Like opening weekend? Oh yeah, I saw it like opening weekend. And it was empty. Empty. Damn. This thing did really poorly. It was probably a matinee. I mean, this thing did like, I, I don't know what the budget of this film is. I haven't seen that shared publicly, but the uh, gross for the entire run of this film was $2.6 million, which in, you know, Crazy 1996 low. terms is terrifyingly low. A huge failure. Right? We're like on the precipice of talking about the actual meat of this film. But I do want to point out when they did the new season in 2022, when they did it back, the first joke is based entirely off of brain candy. It oh. is somebody buys a VHS copy of brain candy at a yard sale. And Damn. that is the final dollar needed Canadian $1 Canadian is the Damn. final dollar needed to break even on the movie after all these <laughs> years and thus break a curse that brings the kids in the hall back where they literally dig them up. But like Mark McKinney, I need to see, I didn't see that season at all. Cause I, it. it's such a good I'm season. an, an anti-Amazon human. So just, you just have to suck I'll it up for it. this, for this, suck it up. Cause yeah, it I'll is, just, I'll just steal it. I'll find it. I don't care where you get it from. I'm, I'm not your dad. I'm just saying I, that I just found you something. should watch it. I just Boy, found something good. saying that the budget was eight million and box office was two point six million. Two point so, yeah, six. That's a lot of money to lose. It's mm. a lot of money to lose on a picture like that. And it's like did they think, but did they think when they hired these dudes who'd been on 16 different networks at this point, did they really believe that this was gonna like like did you really need to give them eight million dollars? By the way, they blew most of that budget on the lawnmower ass effects. When anybody took the pill, <laughs> that's yeah. like the, the whole effects. budget went into yeah. this lawnmower ass effect. No, no, no. And that big pie. Yeah. That, that big Not weird wet pie. Yeah. yeah. Paul Bellini's pie. Now, nah, Jeff, it's crazy. You said that too about the amount of money that the the company gave them to make that movie. Especially 96. You got to remember this the era of like a lot of the worst of the worst. So stuff mm. like The Pest and Biodome and Jury duty and all of those type of yes. movies, all of those type of movies is coming out and not making anything at all. So I don't know what the hell they might have thought they had a diamond in the rough with the popularity of the show. Well, but, I, I think where that actually comes in is it's because of one person, and that's Lorne Michaels and what mm. he was able to do and the connections that he had. Because keep in mind, 1995 is Billy Madison. Mm. So we are at the beginning of when Lorne Michaels post Wayne's World. Yeah. He's now able to be like, we can take the summer off of SNL and you can go up to Canada and make a movie. And that's how you get Tommy Boy and Billy Madison. And because those became successful, there was a sense that, well, we can do this Kids in the Hall movie. Yeah. Because this lot. is another Lauren thing. So he's Fair executive enough. producer. So that's the, the logic of like, how do they justify putting any sort of budget onto this, you know, admittedly odd little Canadian TV show? I'm, I that mean, it's fair. Just as much as it was the Tommy Boys and the Black Sheep being successful, it was just as much as Night at the Roxbury's and Superstars of It's Pat being unsuccessful. Yo, I was yes. I was just about to talk about It's Pat. It's Pat also had an eight million dollar budget, and mm. it made sixty thousand eight hundred twenty two dollars at the box office. Dude, thousand. 
Lauren yeah, Michaels oh, wasn't man. involved. It made 61K on an $8 million budget. That's crazy. Everybody they truly thought that they could just make anything <laughs> that got a laugh on SNL into a movie after a while. Look, they were trying to do a Hans and Franz movie for years. They were trying mm. to do that. And like, that's not Thank a movie. God that failed. They were trying to do a Sprockets, sorry, a Sprockets movie for years with, with Mike Myers. And that never took off the ground. But it's like, yes, Lord Michaels had a certain amount of cachet. It still does, obviously, but it had a certain amount of cachet that he got these things through. But it wasn't consistent. And I'm not going to say that Brain Candy okay. is on the same level as its Pat or Stuart Saves His Family. But it's... It's not far off. But budget, well, in terms of its actual box office, it definitely has some commonalities. I mean, also, it's, it's Pat also starred Dave Foley. Maybe it's the Dave Foley curse. <laughs> there yeah, is a bit of a Dave Foley curse. It feels like. Well, yeah. Well, Dave Foley on 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 the big screen has never been a thing. He has tried a number of times. He's done a few different things, but his success on news radio was great and definitely, and it was a fantastic show. Love but like, show. it never transferred the big screen. I think the idea was the hope probably was by the time they were set to start making this movie, Dave Foley had had his first season on news radio. And like people were bullish about the fact, like, well, he's a star. He's a star. Mm -hmm. We're going to do what they did to everybody in the 90s. Take somebody who has a successful TV show, you try to cram them onto the big screen. And sometimes they're Ted Danson, and sometimes they are not Ted Danson. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they are John Larroquette. And John Larroquette is not a big screen actor. Let's take it easy. He was in Blind (laughs) Date, which is a real jam. Now, (laughs) and Southland Tales, (laughs) Southland Tales, too. Yeah. Uh, but I, I I see your point. The movie itself, oh, the movie certainly didn't try to win over new fans. No, yeah, not at all. They were like, "Oh, you thought it was weird and specialized before. Now we're gonna do a ninety-minute plot of this. Have a good one. <laughs> like, enjoy making your money back." <laughs> and they start off with just like basically this like. I, I mean, montage is the right world, but they, they start off this this sequence of, hey, remember these characters from the kids in the hall? No, you right. don't, because this is season four and five. A handful of them you do, obviously. Like, okay, the cops, they've been on forever. We know what those cops yeah. are. But like, okay, the white trash couple, and you get the racist cabbie, and you get like some of those like, oh, yeah, yeah. But it's like, no, Classics. they're not giving you head cru- There's no head crusher in this. They're not giving you Buddy Cole. Buddy Cole is not part of this project. No. So like they are keeping some of their like most you know loved characters this is away from this project. This was a step. It feels like a lateral step. But they do take like weird chances they didn't take on the show. Yeah. Now you and the, I couldn't have been bugging. To me, the scene where they was coming out of the party, um to me with the two girls, like when they had to to me, was it seemed like wasn't that from Night at the Roxbury? They may have been making fun of some things. Yeah, yeah. See, that's it. I'm like, they definitely making fun of Night at the Roxbury. That's oh, there's that. a ton of satire. the 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 best satire for me in the movie is is the written banter at the award show. <laughs> like you would know about that. Like they are just obviously <laughs> reading off of a cue card and have never been in the same room together, or rehearsed, or met at it, all. Yeah, it's just incredible. Scott Thompson as Clemdor, whatever it was, the model, like super supermodel. So crazy, so crazy. I mean, that part of it, and just like making fun of pop culture is great. Sure, they've always been good at it. I think earlier off, because we were we were sort of figuring things out, we kind of mentioned that it's not a great movie. (laughs) I love it. I truly like this time around I was I was fully ensconced and I think that it benefits this movie just like the show does on rewatches because once you get past what they're saying and like analyze how they're saying it the writing the delivery the ridiculousness that is given to you right in, right in a single take is just incredible the way that they bounce off of one another this thing rewards getting past the initial fact that these jokes are fucking weird. <laughs> They're so weird, weird jokes. <laughs> I said, like, if you're a fan of the show, yeah. the, you say nothing about the movie. 
The movie is literally like a, the the movie is like a, a step up. And to me, like if you just walked in on the movie, you might still find the humor in it. It might make you want to go back to the show. Like, it, it, but if you understand of- their cadence and the way they work with each other, mm-hmm. this is a treat because they really there are some weird limits they're pushing on one another. McCullough's no, McCullough's wounded heart scientist woman is just incredible. <laughs> every look, scene too. he steals every scene as her. <laughs> this urine looks great. Like for no reason. Just so absurd. Excitedly commenting on it's urine. Just so happy. Like, oh, she must be a scientist. <laughs> oh, what God. do y'all think about the plot of it? About the whole thing about the about the big pharma company, greed, a pill that makes you happy it felt very like one thing about kids in the hall and like mr show and all the stuff we're kind of talking about they mm. all feel very modern now they don't feel dated far as what they're making right. a commentary about and what the sense of humor is like they were early meta comedy folks and like since they had to be sort of vague with their meta comedy i mean you couldn't be really wild and specific like you can now Yep. It was they're re they're really introducing a lot of ideas into the into the comedy sphere TV wise, and yeah. I think that ages really well. Yeah, nah, you're definitely right. And even going back to kind of like when you were saying just how dope they play off each other, I would say for me probably the 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 funniest ten minutes in the whole movie is literally the scene from when <laughs> Bruce McCullough on the show. And she's like, move your hips. <laughs> it goes from that into the cops uh, finding them in the uh, bathroom, like completely ass naked and taking them home. That shit is hilarious. How do we feel about the, the bathroom joke? It, it feels so 90s. It kind of reminds me of when, when George Michael got in trouble for cruising mm. in, in some bathroom. I that's that that's what I well. felt like they were trying to reference. I don't know if that happened before or like after then. But it definitely felt like a time period where like queer culture was still seen as like very othered and like things like cruising would be seen as like, oh, that's so weird. But it's great that they have like a gay actor playing that role. Anyone else doing it, it would have came off kind of dated now. I mean, like they could have done they could have done that as a sketch on SNL as the last joke of the night, as the last sketch of the night. And that probably would have gotten away. But the fact that you had an openly gay actor, the only openly gay actor of the entire cast, go on there and do this bit becomes credible because you're watching this through the lens of somebody who is to whatever extent a participant in culture, participant in that culture. So it's not the joke of like if you had some like hacky SNL, you know, comic being like, hey, hey, yeah, this is what happens in the bathrooms. Like, no, this like absurdist joke of just like loads and loads of people but coming through the I door. This this is what really makes so the well joke done. brilliant. Yeah. The 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 joke itself, all of these layers are true and they make the joke great. But my favorite is that it's like 200 people run out of it's like a clown car (laughs) how do you even have sex in there everyone's just like the lights are off it's so good and the cops are just like and they're just totally lost in this the joke is so good we got one we got one it's just like with his finger that's it's that's so good. And like the thing is, is like I always feel like because of the nature of Kids in the Hall, the fact that Scott Thompson played like a character like Buddy Cole and continues to use that character, you know, throughout his career, but like has played that sort of character where he played this thing like you don't see. You never saw that on TV and it was realistic. So the fact that, like, that he could do a character like that sort of meant like if you're going to make other gay jokes, but as a gay comedian, then maybe you're going to come at it from a different way than a straight comic who's trying to make light of something because he thinks on some level that homosexuality is funny inherently. His, Which is, his that's the core difference that you see demeanor, there. especially when he's being interrogated by the, by the paid <laughs> professional he goes to to figure out his problems. The psychiatrist. The psychiatrist looks at, yes, who is great. 
he he's Dogs just standing in front of him like you're gay and he's like well if you're just going to throw a bunch of mumbo jumbo at me i'm not going to pay you to do this <laughs> the best line no the best well, line of that scene denial the best line in that scene of denial with the, with the therapist is dogs know it like it's like it's like they know you're gay and it leads to what i can only imagine i just imagine some of the 2.6 million dollars which 10 that came in where people got to see this march down the street of him coming out musical number yeah where everyone and it was like, oh, thank God. Yeah. Like, finally, this guy will tell us he's okay. And it is, I can't imagine. I'm going to guess somewhere in the ballpark of 600,000 of those $2.6 million walked out then. <laughs> this and that. So, and that. like, wildly offended. Yeah. That it, like, made them, I guarantee it. I'm talking about gay shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> All I'm so- saying, the thing is, the, the thing for me, though, is like, this is a film that because of the nature of that humor and again how ahead of its time it was to 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 Fatoni's point there's also this aspect of like most of the humor stands up on that level but there's still there's one instance in this film that I have to cite where they miss the mark and they don't do well in in retrospect and that's the brown face moment in the back of the taxi cab Scott Thompson playing a character from the TV series called Raj. Raj is of some South Asian uh, ethnicity. Uh, it's never, yeah. I don't think it's even specified on the show, but certainly not in this particular sketch. And it's just one of those things where you look back and when you watch this, and we this happens just all the time when we're watching the movies on this show, is we're looking at films from 15, 20, 30 years ago. Years and we, ago we, yeah. fi- we always find something and we go like, well, at that time, that, that's... That was what some people consider funny, but when you look back in retrospect, there's punching down aspect to that. There's something off, especially coming from a place as white as Canada and oppressively white as Canada can be. You know, I, like we had to watch that shitty YouTube rip of it. <laughs> no, so, it, was it was actually really hard to tie that you pointed it out, and I was like, Oh no, that's bad. <laughs> I couldn't tell because the the screen looks so bad for mm. my shitty YouTube rip. That he just looked like he had a weird haircut. <laughs> I I think I had the benefit of basically watching it on Blu-ray, so I was like, oh, I actually get this like this quality of it. So like, but I think other than that scene, like the humor largely hits for what it is. Yeah, and I would say honestly, like now that we're talking about it, they kind of just building on it all. I think what might have really sunk the movie financially and everything was the. Cancer boy uh, character because they oh, were just controversial. Nah, even deeper than that, they were saying everybody, all the executives wanted it out, and the whole the whole cast stood on it. Like, nah, we see we keeping this character. This bringing a certain vibe to the movie, and everybody the, they let him have it. But they said a lot of the people kind of let it let it let it sink after that. A lot of the people involved with it was kind of like fuck this movie. You mean, you mean like they they basically pulled marketing from this movie and didn't? Yes, yeah, you're right. For a fact, you have to think about where they were at at this point in their careers. Like their show, they're at the end of the show. They're yeah. figuring it out. The troupe is falling apart. Like Dave Foley is split from them and is in this movie because of contractual reasons. Has to be in it. You're going to make some decisions that are defiant. You're going to make some decisions that are just like. I don't care. We're keeping Cancer Boy in. And it's only in retrospect you can look back and go like, Cancer Boy had two jokes in the entire film. There was the scene where Dr. Chris Cooper, played by Kevin McDonald, meets Cancer Boy, played by Bruce McCullough. And there's that whole exchange. My marrow is low. Lines that are pitch black funny. Just dark, dark humor. And then the next time you see him is at the awards show, I think. And there's the music video. The video. Yeah, the music video, um, which where he whistles. I'm curious to see where we like we did. You guys thought Cancer Boy was funny? I was gonna ask y'all. Did y'all think they was taking it overboard with that? Mm. Uh, did y'all fit into the whole kids and all narrative? I'm interested to like hear how y'all felt about that. I feel them for pushing back on wanting to be censored, just as an artist. But I feel like Cancer Boy didn't make or break the film for me. Like if Cancer Boy wasn't in there, 
I'd be cool with it. I'd be fine with like another character or even another scene from one of the characters that were already there. Mm-hmm. No, I, I was kind of the same way with it. To me, it wasn't needed. Cause like, to me, it's not, it's not like you saw it in like season one, then season three, then season four, then, oh, oh they brought back Cancer Boy for the movie. It was kind of like they were trying to bring in a new character and it wasn't really development around it. So I definitely feel Tony yeah. on that. Like The origins of Cancer Boy as a character on the show is that it's about what is offensive. It was done in a way of, of, as part of a comedy idea. Well, there's a, there's a weird pressure when you move to the movies, you've got no rules anymore. Mm. You're thinking these dudes have been dealing with four five different network set of values in the 80s and early 90s mm-hmm. you weren't getting away with much hbo was a little more free but it wasn't movies movies let you do what you want so for them to also come in and be like you've taken this too far that must have felt really awful like yo you guys were like carte blanche do your thing yeah and now all of a sudden you're not this is what going to the movies is, is that we can stretch our boundaries. And they chose Cancer Boy <laughs> to stretch the boundaries. Honestly. <laughs> no, I, okay. So I've, I've, I've had cancer. Yes. Uh, and I it was a rough time. And I, the reason I laughed my fucking ass off is that this thing was researched. The low marrow thing, real. Yes, yeah, yeah, that was a good joke. That, that was so that was the good. best cancer boy joke because my it was marrow specific. is low. <laughs> and he was like super upbeat and trying to be happy, and he's making music videos. He's up for I don't a video music award. Yeah, <laughs> something that's so basically high. basically Look, the this, VMAs. This person's facing imminent death and is like hilarious and cool. I'm in. I'm fine with cancer boy. Uh, but I understand there's a different thing where like, if you have witnessed a person go through rough times with cancer and die, you have every right to be like, fuck you guys for this joke. This sucks. (laughs) I really don't want to watch a movie with this in it. I think it should be gone. I get it totally. But as a survivor, I was laughing my ass off. Wow. (laughs) So weird. Well, I mean, that is pitch black humor. It is dark. The fact that the terminology is actually the phrasing is so on point is especially makes it dark because it's like there's coming from a place of knowing as well. That's that's the thing too. Yeah, there's an awareness that that's set there. But I'm with you that it was wildly unnecessary. (laughs) Yes, I mean that's things need to happen. Look, if we start talking about if we start unraveling that what's necessary in this film, this plot is not like. Nothing is really fast. necessary. <laughs> it's like why are why is why is Kevin McDonald dancing to Tom Jones on a why? daytime TV covering show? Prince? Why is yes. Paul Bellini there in a in his <laughs> towel just being Paul Bellini? Why was there that big wet pie that you talked about before? That big wet why, pie was nasty. All of, very few of the actual like bits and gags that happen in this film are truly in and of themselves necessary to the story, to the plot, to the narrative. But they are vital to the aesthetic of what the kids in the hall did and do. Like it yeah. had to happen that way. They could right. not written they could have written a straight movie. Yeah, no, you're definitely not right. as kids in the hall. The fact that they kept the plot going the whole time is a testament to the fact they really wanted to make this movie. They truly then, could have abandoned and, it. It would have been fine. And there's not much plot to begin with, so they're only really kind of just keeping it going this way. Yeah, it's just kind of the one. I guess there's two because there's also the almost kissed couple. We oh, almost yeah. kissed, which is phenomenal yes. because when she comes to his house and is like very upset, it was like I'm I'm breaking up with you, and he's like, ah. wow. <laughs> <laughs> How do I deal with this? <laughs> And then she like smashes the door back open to her. It's like, we almost kissed. We almost kissed. I mean, it's like, isn't the color's a genius? That's really what it comes to. It's weird to. that the other farmer guy, who I guess like the muscle for like the big farmer founder or like C- CEO or whatever, he's like sitting at his bedside while he's in bed with those two girls waking up. So was he just there the whole night, just like sitting there? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> 
just sitting there well, with one it, eye. Made to believe. Going back to what you said, like a lot of stuff that happened now. The when she when McCullough leave out of the uh, crib and the door get like you hear him in the background like yeah. Uh, here's are here's are these NDAs you girls are gonna sign that say this never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved that line. There are there are a number of excellent, and maybe we can pick some of our favorites. Mm. Excellent, like what I what I like to say, one off jokes, because these a lot of these are serial jokes, but then they'll just have for no reason someone is in. Brendan Fraser is a good example, or somebody's in there that just gives like one joke and then splits. Mm. And I think (laughs) I said while we were texting back and forth during the movie, I said this may be his best acting role ever. Like he was so convincing as someone who was very mad at these people for giving him placebo. (laughs) (laughs) I think my favorite, if we're going to pull out some one-liners, my favorite one-liner from the film, and it's not really a one-liner because it gets repeated, but the line is it's a pill that gives worms to ex-girlfriends. Big incel. What about ex-boyfriends? He just is furious like. You just don't get it. You don't get it. You don't get it. (laughs) He storms out of that meeting and he turns around and he's like, I just don't get this place. (laughs) Nah, it's hilarious. For me, it'll be the the, the Tom Jones scene, hands down. Mm. Okay, that's it. Yeah, just dance for us. We come back. We give you a makeover. There's, there's a really weird thing that happens, and it's totally pointless. Where they're going to the fancy party, and the bouncer turns away oh, two extras. <laughs> so basically, there's there's such a weird level to this joke. Where like every time you're watching a movie that has like a fancy party scene. There's always some old couples dressed to the nines just walking in and nobody cares. They all just know that these people are famous. These yeah. two try to walk into the party and he looks at their ideas and goes, these are fake. Get yeah. out of here. Scram. <laughs> the Get fact that he says scram. <laughs> scram is so good. Man. These are fakes. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't know why, but this, the, the second time I watched, I like truly was about to cry from laughing at how stupid that is. But it was perfect. And he's very serious. He's like, scram, get out of here. You make me sick. <laughs> I love it. And that bird that like takes out the guy's eye for oh no reason. <laughs> Coming out the yes. car, the, like the bird flies out the limo, right? It's <laughs> it's it's so fucking crazy. It's and like who and knows? Like, <laughs> they do that bit, they do that bit for like why? And then like for the rest of the movie, Bruce McCullough has an eye patch. Like yep. that's like <laughs> no, it's canon now. This actually happened to this movie. And you like it's very possible he was just like, I'm gonna do a bird thing, and they're like, whatever, yeah. man. Well, someone yeah. called yeah. Cat, yeah. cat thing, someone calls <laughs> yep. a cat thing, someone has a bird thing. Cat on my head, cat on my head, cat on my head. If anybody just tuned like fast forward to this podcast and just went to that point, they'd be like, What the fuck is this movie? So I'm just shrieking cat on my head. Like there's this bit of conversation we're having here makes no sense to anybody who walks into that movie late or listens to this podcast then, you haven't seen this like, movie it makes no sense because their level of detail is so good too mm. and that era really in it didn't invent it but certainly perfected the sort of background weird stuff in movies and cartoons yes weapons and helmets magazine absolutely phenomenal what a name for a mag weapons and helmets. Thank you for coming, Weapons and Helmets magazine. There's uh, and food. Then, oh <laughs> man, we'll get to that. I that's a great show. And then there's also when they're reading about the best-selling drugs report, <laughs> it's in, in drugs. drugs variety. Yes. <laughs> it's just the magazine variety. <laughs> It just says drugs over it. That's it. It's just drugs. And homeboy rising. says, give me the room so he can yell. <laughs> and he yells. My empire is crumbling. We beat penicillin. <laughs> oh, God. That is so good. God, the <sighs> other way, uh, I want to say, when they they tested the medicine, and he's like, yeah, uh, don't you want to say black kids in the hood from uh yeah, ghetto, yeah, ghetto, exactly. children. Says, ghetto children? Don't you want to say ghetto children? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently their lives are very unhappy. 
<laughs> Did you read that thing in the New York Times? Anyway, he just moves <laughs> while he's walking past this beautiful pool. Oh shit! <laughs> it is like they just understood uh... perfectly one how like generationally rich white people think, and two. Uh... An incredible oh, send up of like them walking around this incredible, beautiful scene. Yeah. Shot in this pool room. And he's like, Didn't you didn't you read about these poor people that are having problems in New York Times? <laughs> oh, it's incredible. Apparently their lives are horrible. That's why <laughs> apparently their lives are horrible. But then later on, he doesn't he say uh, in that same in that same day or later on, he says, Have you heard that crack is gone? Yeah, it's like, it's like yes. crack is gone. Like he's just like, like this is like clearly this like it's such a send up of. Well, the fact is like a send up of the kind of New York Times reading liberal, but it's a real send up of obviously Lauren Michaels, which yes, because of the ways in which like Austin Powers and others have basically been like these characters are impressions are impressions of Lauren Michaels that we used to do behind his back. You know, now it's like <laughs> Don Rorator is Lord Michaels in every way. And I think Mark McKinney's I think Mark McKinney as Don mm. is a better Lord Michaels than Mike Myers as Dr. Evil. It is absolutely so agree. much better. Oh, 100%. And the material, like everything from drug variety, obviously, to the like the, the red bowls of pills, carpet, red socks and red carpet, the bowls of pills on the table in the uh and when are we gonna get the big table? We're gonna cut down the tree myself. <laughs> this like gigantic table taking up the whole room. When are we gonna yeah, get the big the table? Big table. And it's just God it's damn. so bad in the way in which it is like that's the executive producer of the movie. And they're just like, we are directly making fun of you to a point where just like it, he's the bad guy in the movie. They keep has, they make this so he took, impression. He's executive never a producer good guy. and producer credits for him. Yes, for Lauren. Both. It both. He took a bath hard on the money and the respect. And it's <laughs> he and took the a joke huge is, bath on this. The jokes are all about him. The jokes yep. are so many about him and just being like this, you know, clueless leader, you know, and just like and completely like guileless and ethically bereft. <laughs> you just get that. I read a lot of uh, reviews oh. of this. Just because I wanted to know, like, why did people hate it so much? They really reviled it in the critic world. Not a fan. Uh, well, I think and people back then, and maybe since the dawn of time, movie critics have been really against movies that they think are too vapid or too lowbrow. And I think the 90s was probably overrun with dumb comedies like It's Pat. So this probably was just another easy target for them. It's like something that they can shit on. And yeah. I can see why they wouldn't like it because critics like the TV show, right? Yeah, yeah. Somewhat. It was it was critically acclaimed somewhat, but it was also there was this attitude like the reason it keeps getting thrown to another place and another place and buried more uh, is it's too weird for people. Mm. And that Man, was sort of they were ahead of their time. Like like if all this shit came out. Even 10 years later, even if it lived as like a YouTube series, it would have been a bigger hit. It's funny, too, because speaking of critics, I don't know if y'all knew this, but on uh, when they got reviewed on Siskel and Ebert, I want to say uh, <laughs> Eber, uh, Ebert hated it. This yeah. was, I was actually going to bring this up when I brought up the subject. Ebert, <laughs> Ebert thought it was reviving. Ebert, it was terrible. Siskel gave it a three and a half star. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always see I always see more eye to eye with Siskel than I ever do with Ebert. You know that's for sure. I'm really? <clears throat> wow. I'm an Ebert. Yeah. yeah Jeff's the Ebert. Jeff's the Ebert of this show. Ebert nice. the goat. <laughs> yeah, man. Ebert the goat. I mean, Siskel don't. That's fuck too. But Ebert the goat. Go go go. I was shocked because normally when it comes to and I've watched a whole bunch of back episodes of their show. It's really an incredible show. And Siskel is usually the one to me, maybe it's just perception, but he's usually the one to be like, I don't like these, these stupid comedies are stupid. And, yes. and Ebert's usually one to be like, I don't know, man, these are pretty funny jokes. And that's what this is supposed to be about. Or like, are you giving us jokes? 
and you're missing the jokes to try and figure out a plot in this one it was the exact opposite Eber was like <laughs> fuck this thing fuck this thing <laughs> and Cisco was like I don't know dude it's pretty funny <laughs> totally <laughs> it's pretty funny <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm looking through their like best film of the year list and only a few times did they agree on what the best film of the year was it's not very often some of the ones that they both liked do the right thing goodfellas sinless list hoop dreams fargo the godfather i mean they're winning that's a pretty cool list that's a great run you know what i mean to be able to yeah. say that those are like, that if you, know, you agreed the- on something it must have been really good those are all yeah. really good movies yeah. Yeah, I love that they loved Hoop Dreams that much because I'm me too, right? I didn't like that's that. a random one, you know. Like, do the right thing, yes, of course. But like the Godfather, yeah, of course. Hoop Dreams, <laughs> word, okay, me too. Respect. The Respect. best movie of '94, according to Cisco and Eber, Hoop Dreams. Should we go over some favorite parts still? <laughs> I think we should. Uh, yeah, there's so many more to cover. Just, so many like weird moments that made me laugh. Let's just let's just flow with it. Let's flow with it, man. The three magazines that show up for the press conference uh, are Girl Beat, <laughs> Weapons and Armor, or was it Weapons and Armor? No. Helmets. Oh yeah, hell, right, right, right. And just a guy that represents all of college radio. Yes. Yeah, and he's just yeah. like got one. He's got a little mic with a like Yo, Walkman tape to it. That's also why I feel like Kids in the Hall is that real like '90s Gen X alt yes. culture because only them would reference a college radio person yes. and even know to make fun of it. Like no Not other mainstream comedy it looked exactly like a college radio person. That's yes, odd. with one hundred percent and everything. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely, and then. When they show up to the real press conference and all of the people are in there, all Dave Foley has to say to these broke, truth-seeking, beautiful people is, there's food, and they just run right over to the other side. Like, see you around, dude. Still works today. (laughs) It Totally, it works every time. When I was a sports writer, I would totally take jobs because they were like, we got pizza. And I'm like, sick. I don't have to worry about food. That's so much money for me right now. Oh my God. Past <laughs> apps at a press event is just a gift from God. When oh, you're a writer, totally. when you're a writer, you're whatever. It is a blessing. I will take it every single time. So many moments that we could choose from so many different things that happened, but I really like, and we haven't really talked about Scott Thompson as the old lady. No. Is her family is horrible to her. It made me in so that, sad. In that, in that memory. But I loved that Christmas scene so so much. Only they could pull off that Christmas. That one and a half minute scene Mm. was the most kids in the hall thing in history. That was that was lovely. (laughs) (laughs) But she had a whole bird in her hands. Mrs. Herdicure, which already they 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 damned this character from the start. But it's like you're over here and you feel bad for her through all of this. And then because this is the kids in the hall and they are diabolical. You see, you find out ultimately why they hate her so much. <laughs> with the scene with the balloons, and she gives the balloons to the kid, and the balloons take off into the sky with the kid, and he's gone. Damn. And she and lies, she lies and said he wasn't with her. He was. <laughs> yes. In the in which they, I thought they you had him. That, they cut that. They put that into the what the the uh, the end credit scene, right? Or the post credits. Right, yeah. yeah. It's so incredible to me because you spend this movie feeling bad for this old lady and then you're just like look what she did he was up there for two days like like this and is, he had one shoe on and he was shoe on exactly the explanation is just so clear example while they can just take a moment to do a thing and like oh this explains away everything it's like yeah. i still don't know what stummies does but <laughs> like do you either of you have any sense of what stummies does no I get the feeling it's a Xanax-like thing. No, Sharif, what do you think Stummies is? What is Stummies? What's Stummies? I don't know. If I had to guess, if the, the if, if the, the pill that they had make you feel happy, it might have been, I want to say, something that was the opposite. So it might be something that you take and make you feel sad, but then later on you feel happy or 
Am I it, just stopping? It's a mood altering drug, I think. You think it's mood altering? Say, Something to that effect. Just because it's not like tummy. Maybe <laughs> I might be looking <laughs> to. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's just helping your stomach. My stomach hurt. It's for your gut health. Yeah, gut health, a Pepto Bismol type thing. Yeah, that's that's what I I I connected stummies with tummy. I might be okay. I might think it's two two kids in the hall hallish, but no, no, I think you're right. I think you're right. Which there's there's Obviously. on this episode you absolutely have to do that anyway. But I think <laughs> I think there there is because there are various like. There are visual gags that I'm not going to get until I watch this five more times. There are things that are like happening. And I think there's a, a slogan somewhere for tummies that includes the word tummy. So you may very well be on That's that right true. wavelength for it. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. uh, I enjoyed the speech given to the fake Lauren Michaels character. Yes. Where, <laughs> <laughs> where he's like, Kevin McDonald is trying, the, I'm sorry, the scientist is trying really hard to explain why he's mad and why he's been wronged, but he's just like not smart enough to do it. And he just gives you fractions of thoughts. And in the middle of it, he goes, I mean, sure, I lost my virginity, but that doesn't, <laughs> it, I mean, like an absolute banger of a line, but he's not completing any thoughts. So you almost don't catch it. It's funny how his lie is that that girl is supposed to be his like niece. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, you must be. Oh, it, it's not even his lie. That's her delusion. She's like, oh, you must be his. Oh yeah, not true. His, yeah, he must be. He must be your uncle. And she's like, sure. Yeah. <laughs> is is your uncle home? <laughs> I'm so, look, it is. <laughs> I wanted to the way I wanted to end this was to ask the 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 toughest question I think of the entire film. Which of the five kids in the hall nailed it best? Who who's who's the one who really did it? Ooh, and damn. over the course That's of a... this conversation, my opinion changed. Damn I was, who killed it. What do you think, Sheree? I would say for the movie, I, I want to tie it with uh with uh Bruce and uh no, matter of fact, I, I'm gonna give it to Bruce. Just with the female cancer boy, like it's certain. It's I would say stuff he brought to the movie you couldn't take out of the movie. Like yeah. mm. I'm, I'm very tempted to say Scott because he's such a great performer. But mm -hmm. I laughed the hardest at Mark McKinney's character. <laughs> I like, I like, love the fucking dry, emotionless, rich guy, Jeff. Who is it for you? Uh, my favorite kid in the hall, I guess you would have to say. Uh, and the star of this movie for me, that never will change. It's It's been Bruce the whole time. I am a massive Bruce guy. Oh, yeah. I just think that dude is the glue in that whole operation. Word Are his up. characters taking things in character as far as he can take them? Which is... Of course, why he's playing Cancer Boy. <laughs> of course. <laughs> when I watched the film, Mark McKinney was my pick. After the second viewing, I'm just like, I felt like he played the most number of characters. And I was going through my list to try to see how many people he played, who he played. And it's like he does, obviously, he plays Lauren, he plays the cabbie, he plays the really sexist ones of the cops. He's several women in this he's just like he is so many and he's the drill sergeant in that yeah. scene now, yes. now go over there now go over there and fuck them and we'll stay back here and masturbate oh like, man the the scene the palpable oh. tension sexual tension between the two of them when they're yelling back and forth at the beginning you're like now before muscles. he orders him before the happiest memory yes. yeah. there's the first memory and the first memory is them like getting hot for each other while screaming yes. at each other's faces. Yeah. Like, right. And perfect. it is a perfect scene. I was yeah. dying that whole time. Classic love story. Yeah. But like my allegiances before all this are to Bruce. I'm a Bruce McCullough guy. And yeah. I think that the more I've learned about Bruce as a person, the fact that he was like, he's a punk. He was on uh Damien from fucked up. Uh, yeah. Turned out a punk podcast. And he just like, was this like, treasure trove of information about canadian punk rock 
and like what it was like to be a punk in Canada. And it was a fascinating thing. And it was just a reminder that like this guy put out records. This guy was always fucking cool. And as a, as like somebody who is doing characters, his voices are so well done. He yeah. does all these characters and you feel like he has like a range. His monologues are excellent. Like Cancer Boy is an intonation that he used in a different iteration in like the first seasons of Kids in the Hall mm-hmm. with the, you know, sure I'll eat your Bible. It'll take me many hours of munching and snacking. <laughs> like there's that He's like so re- weird. That weird little boy. That's that why he, he did that. such good character work as like if you go back and watch the um the record clerk one. Oh, where yeah, he's yeah, the yeah. clerk in a record store and he's selling the doors mm. to this guy. And it it he's he was good at those characters because he was them. He was observant about his place before the TV yeah. show took off mm-hmm. and didn't lose touch with the fact that like I've been broke playing music and having a blast and now I'm just doing a different thing. And I'm going to stay that way. And it's awesome. I love that dude. I think he's a fucking star in this movie. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think, and again, I think Scott Thompson plays one of the funniest roles in the film, just period. And with perfect aplomb. With perfect aplomb. Like it's just amazing. Everything about from the denial through like every aspect of it, even to the very end when he falls as a statue in his coma to the Dave, ground. Dave fully the- losing his cool as a psychiatrist on him and just being like like what are you doing and he just like no sells it the whole time he's like no whole way that's incorrect (laughs) so i I love that and i look and and i'm gonna and i look i want to give a lot of credit to kevin mcdonald because he is ostensibly the lead in this film Mm -hmm. and i think it showed that like kevin mcdonald is somebody who could have led a movie on his own he could have led a movie on his own he has ended up being kind of a secondary and background character and other things it kind of be part of a cast and an ensemble or a guest but like he is somebody who could at that period of time he absolutely could have been the lead in a wacky comedy because guess what he was in this whole thing he was very much a lead so i want to give him credit oh yeah can't count dave foley he has the least number of characters and like while they are why they are good he's like this is not that dude, you, but you don't want to be there i mean no, it's very he's, obvious he's, He's also on record. He's talked. I've listened to him on podcasts about like he's on record about where he was at with them at that point. So, yeah, you know, I can't give it to him for. So. All right. I think we've we've established our allegiances. Um, This has been an unusual episode in that uh, (laughs) we all like the movie. Yeah. Yeah. We all like the movie. Does anybody not like it after all this? I don't don't know. Maybe. Or I would watch it again. Yeah. It's a four, four stars. Damn. Four stars. I'm giving it more than uh Cisco. <laughs> I love that. You know what? I'm with you. I had a blast watching this movie. It's so weird. We've been so mean to the rap community with this podcast. <laughs> and the one time the rap community is like, we want you to watch, you know, this bad movie. It's actually like the best movie. It's, <laughs> it's a an incredible movie. Oh, maybe we should learn a lesson here, Gary. No, no, Thank no, no, you, no, no, no lessons. No lessons. <laughs> Not lessons learned. We don't learn nope. anything on this show. Nope. We're, we're gonna learned. watch. Uh, we're gonna watch Rollerball again. Yeah, we're, we're just gonna watch the next episode. We're just gonna I'm keep good. watching. <laughs> so I'm next fucking up, good, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the Cabbages Podcast Network.